Welcome, friends. This is Historical AF. I'm Keena. I'm Karen. And I'm Casey. We are two history podcasts here to deliver some weird and random historical space nuggets. You never knew you needed directly to your ear holes. Mm-hmm. This is Space History Part 3. Ah, ah, it's about to get weird. Oh, it's going to get real weird. <laughs> I'm about to geek out so hard that I had to contain myself because I kept, I, I discovered my new hero. Ooh. And I, I love her. I've already tweeted at her. It's probably going to get weird because I'm just like, come on the <laughs> podcast. Yeah, I haven't said that yet, but I will. It's going to be fun. That's exciting. I'm excited. Thank you guys for coming. I'm so oh, excited to have you back. You're welcome. We're glad to like, be here. Remind everybody about your podcast. What is oh, okay. It? So we are Encyclopedia Obscura, and we are a podcast where two best friends journey through the encyclopedia, one weird, mysterious, or obscure subject at a time. We go through an order A, B, C, D, you know how the rest of the alphabet goes. We just I released- I do. <laughs> we just released Q for Queens. We actually have a couple fan pick episodes coming up. So if anyone would like to reach out and suggest a topic for a future episode, we would love to hear from you. But yeah, we are a podcast about an encyclopedia, something that's just gone the way of the uh, phone book. Pretty sure a lot of people don't even know what they are anymore. But we love history and we love weird stuff. And we are here. Oh, I love it. I think I had a guest. It was plotting through the president's. They have all the encyclopedias, and then Howard, his wife, made fun of him because she's like, you're literally just using your encyclopedia to get your computer up. (laughs) He's like, it has purpose other than that. I still (laughs) read them. Yeah, well, that's so funny. I always tried to read the most current topic in the encyclopedia, and I'm like, oh, that's that's not something I can repeat. Oh, that did not age well. Oh, yeah. no, that's not accurate. Like a newspaper almost. It's like, oh, yeah. God, what what, what are we saying today about about history? And then you go online, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, people did think that way. Great. Yeah, especially when we were kids, you know, in the uh-huh. 90s and 2000s, going mm-hmm. to the library to pull the encyclopedia. It was a whole nother world back then. Yep. And it was a simpler time. Yeah. I wouldn't call it that. Really? I would. I think, uh, okay, if you have never been on a road trip with a parent as a 12-year-old reading the map, yes, the actual physical map, oh, while they're yeah. like, which exit do we need to take? That's not a simpler time, okay? You plug um, in Google Maps nowadays, you're good to go. Like, life is simpler now, in my opinion. Well, oh. my dad has an encyclopedic knowledge of all of the roads on the eastern seaboard, so oh. I never well, had that map issue. Oh, I did. And I remember the glory of whenever MapQuest came around. When yeah. You could actually print your directions <laughs> instead of having to you read a map. I have maps in my car to this day. Um, I'm not even joking. I just get lost and then I just drive until I recognize something. No. And usually it works out fine. Except that- for that one time I ran out of gas and See? was... 22 and broke so i had to call my mom <laughs> that's how you get abducted by a serial killer okay i that's watched true. that movie earlier today they're lurking <laughs> everywhere there's a serial killer around every corner okay absolutely we listen to podcasts we watch law and order svu hmm. dangerous times criminal minds trust no one never break down i got to a gas station so i was okay i have no sense mm. of direction and i think it's hilarious because my 23 oh, me it gives you updates, and it's like, you're more likely to not have a sense of direction. I'm like, you nailed that one, genetics, because I can't do <laughs> shit. 
Yeah. I was like, well, that's uh, fun. That's inherited. Yay me. I get lost with GPS because <laughs> I'm not paying attention. <laughs> I'm singing on top of my lungs or listening to a podcast and I'm not. Yeah. I took a wrong yeah. turn to San Antonio the other day and I was like, God damn it. And I had to do a whole loop D thing. So on a scale of one to 10, where do you rank yourself with a space nerdness? Are you like 10? 10. 10. Yeah, me too. 10. I wanted to go to space camp. I begged my parents to send me to space camp when I was younger, but it just didn't work out. And then I was looking at adult space camp. I have up on my phone. I mean, I mean maybe a nine. I'm sure they're nerd. Well, eight. Okay. I'm sure they're nerdier people than me, but I love, love the night sky and space and everything around about it. Huge fan. How about you, Karen? I'm less of a space nerd than I am an alien nerd. I seriously hope aliens come and take me away. I love aliens. Like the show Roswell when we were kids, I was obsessed. And there was a book series that came out before it. Well, yeah, those aliens were hot. What about the ones that are probing you? (laughs) Well, maybe I'm into that. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Oh, my God. For part one of space... We talked about space scientifically in the theories, and I I find it more uncomfortable to think that there isn't anything else out there. I think that freaks me out more. I think mm. I'm more comfortable with the idea that there are aliens somewhere. It seems like a really big waste of space. And then if mm-hmm. we are the only things in the whole universe, we're it for all of that. And that just seems like a lot of pressure. So it's been freaking me out <laughs> since we talked about so- it. My whole thing is not that we're the only people out there. I mean, the only creatures out there. It's just the vastness of space makes it pretty impossible that we're ever going to run into them. That's true. Yeah. And if they're so far in advance, they're not going to mess around with us a little bit. I think I mentioned this last episode that X-Files made me believe that alien abductions would be more common. You'd watch those shows where a light would go through your window and you're like, "Uh oh, I'm going to get X-Filed. And that never happened. But I was legitimately afraid of it. (laughs) So when I was about six, my mom took my sister to a Girl Scout thing. And it was just me and my dad hanging out, which didn't really happen a lot when I was that young. We had a road, like, sort of in our backyard. And I guess he saw lights in the backyard. And I'm sure they were car lights. But he tells me that it's a UFO. Oh, no. (laughs) And I'm six. And so... Since that time, I have been like, when are the aliens coming? In fourth grade, I told people I was an alien. I was like, I'm from Io. It's a moon of Jupiter. (laughs) I seriously was trying to convince people I was an alien. That's incredible. I love that about you. (laughs) (laughs) This was the year before Casey and I became friends, actually. So I don't even know if she knows. (laughs) We weren't friends at the time, but... Yeah, and I guess somehow after that, that I was like, "Yeah, this seem, this seems like a good idea." <laughs> I was a weird kid. Uh, well, you were in good company, so don't worry about it. I think all yeah. the weird kids turned out to be really cool people with podcasts. Prove I think me wrong. so. <laughs> I mean, we certainly try. It's true. Do you have any alien experiences? <laughs> to be completely fair, because I think there's got to be other life in the universe, but. I don't think they've ever come here. And if they have, it might have been so long ago that humans have no record of it. Well, actually, that's a great segue for my segment. Ooh, yay. Well, let's just jump right in. Let's do it. So the title of my segment, I gave it a title, (laughs) 
Angels or aliens? The Nephilim. Tall people are aliens. That's the subtitle. I love that it has a subtitle, too. (laughs) There is a good chance that despite all of my research, what I'm about to say is coming directly from my ass. So bear with me. (laughs) Oh, God. The Nephilim are mysterious beings from the Hebrew Bible, also known as the Old Testament. Wikipedia compiled that they could be giants, fallen angels, descendants of Adam, fallen angel-human hybrids, Orion's children, the Apkalu, which are humans that are given talents by God from Sumerian mythology. I don't believe any of that, though. (laughs) And I'll get to what I believe. They are mentioned in the books of Genesis, Numbers, and Ezekiel. So, who's ready for some Bible study? Not me. (laughs) I am. Wonderful. In the book of Genesis, chapter 6, section 4, I think that's what it's called. The Nephilim were on earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them. They were the heroes of old, men of renown. So, anyone want to figure out what that means? Um... They're banging your daughters. These aliens. Ding, ding, ding. That's right. <laughs> Hide your kids. Hide I'm your sorry, wife. what? <laughs> yeah, so in plain English, oh, the yikes. sons of God have probed the daughters of humans and made the Nephilim. And they were heroes of history. This is from the actual Bible. The very oh. first book in the Bible, by the way. Oh, I didn't need this in my life. Oh, you're welcome. So the next occurrence of the Nephilim in the Bible is Numbers 13, 32 through 33, end quote. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Hmm. Okay. Grasshoppers. Uh, that's a that's a powerful statement. A little background on numbers. It occurs while Noah is leading the Israelites out of Egypt, and they're doing their 40-year trek. And so they that spread among the Israelites were the scouts who were going to different places and coming back and saying, like, this is what this land was like. And so they're talking about a land where the people, there are super hardy because the land devours everybody there. And when they say we seemed like grasshoppers compared to them, it means the Nephilim are super freaking tall. So this shows us that the Nephilim were very large and could live in rough conditions. They also survived the flood. And I'll get into that a little bit later. Okay. In the last portion of the Bible that they are mentioned in is Ezekiel 32, 26 through 38. So this is a little complicated. So I'm going to give a little background about how the Nephilim are actually found in this. Um, Dumb it down. Dumb it down for us, Karen. For me (laughs) is what I really mean. Talk to me like I am a child. Explain to me like I'm a two-year-old. Go. (laughs) So this is the other day I was telling Casey that I'm learning Hebrew for this episode. (laughs) That's how Um, much of an overachiever she is. She puts me to shame. I am a skeptic and I really wanted to make sure I was understanding how people were making the connection between the Nephilim and this passage because they don't use that word. Mm -hmm. At least none of the English translations use that word, but they use the 
the phrase the fallen. And so the original Hebrew of all the passages contained the same Hebrew word. So like Ezekiel, Genesis, and Numbers all have the same word, which is pronounced hanfilim, hanfilim, yeah, which is actually kind of similar to Nephilim. If you hear it like hanfilim, Nephilim, yeah. So (laughs) I didn't learn the actual Hebrew alphabet because I would have no idea where to start. So I'm going to use like a Spanish to English example to oh explain God, our how, forte. <laughs> how religious scholars got here. Can't okay, wait. so so we have two Spanish sentences. El gato es blanco. <laughs> yeah, the goat I know is, what that means. is white. The cat is white. <laughs> the porcupine El- is orange. Yes, got it. <laughs> I just spit. <laughs> <laughs> So real real quick anecdote, real, real quick anecdote. So I was up at my aunt and uncle's for a family gathering over the weekend and they live in New Jersey and they listen to the podcast. And my aunt, I mean, both my aunt and uncle are fluent in Spanish because we're Puerto Rican and I'm the black sheep of the family and I'm really bad at Spanish. But You're the white the, sheep. Sorry. <laughs> kind of. Kind of. So they were talking about how they were listening to a couple of our episodes and Karen and I butcher everything we pronounce. Like we're so bad at it. And she's learning French. And she was like, there were some words. I just, how could you get that wrong? And I was like, <laughs> she was like, it was almost like, how? <laughs> oh, and she then, wants to like coach me before episodes. I would love that. So what's really funny about this is I was like, my cousin was also there. Well, actually a lot of members of my family were there, but I was like, hey, if you want to listen to two people not know what they're talking about, but try to know what they're talking about, then our podcast is for you. Oh, see, you have heart and you try really hard. We do so poorly. That's that's the difference. You know, it's like you're not going out there all willy nilly doing on purpose. It's almost more entertaining how hard we try. (laughs) Yes. And it was just really funny because she was like, this word is pronounced this way. And I like repeated it back. And she was like, no. <laughs> exactly. In my head, everything sounds exactly how the Google Translate told me. Yeah. Yes. In my head, I sound incredible. I'm so smart. Mm-hmm. I'm fantastic. And then what comes out is not that ever. And I don't know how there's a connection loose somewhere mm-hmm. from here to yeah. Yeah. It's so so we're yeah, like from my brain to my tongue, there's some disconnect. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can say German words really well. But, like, that's it. Doesn't matter what language it is. Even English. I mean, we mess up English. Yes, we do. Um, We have two sentences in Spanish. (laughs) The first one is, El gato es blanco. The cat is white. And the second one is, El gato come. I ate the cat? The cat? The cat eats. Oh, whoops. (laughs) So, So you uh, have... The woman who grew up in a Hispanic family and Kina both are like, we're eating cats. No. I have taken like five years of Spanish. So I am I. So stupid. It's okay. Fair, I've had a little bit of wine, but that's no excuse. I'm just uh, embarrassing to I have to no excuse. Okay. Well, I swear okay. I'm smart. Cheers. So, it's fine. As we deduced the first <laughs> sentence. As we deduced, though, did we really, though? Did we? Did we? Not I feel like we uh, didn't. I mean, team effort. The cat no, is- you just told us the answer after we fucked up. <laughs> if it makes you feel better, I did use Google Translate to make sure I was like conjugating it correctly. All right, so none of us know what's going on. Awesome. Oh, Continue. No. Okay, <laughs> right. so 
So we have these two sentences. One, the cat is white, and two, the cat eats. Spoiler alert. (laughs) But when you translate it to English, it could also be the feline is white and the cat eats. Mm -hmm. So same, same meaning, different word. Like they had the same word in Hebrew, and then in English, they gave them different words. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, yeah. Do you ever watch, I think it's Jimmy Fallon, where they translate a song into a language and then translate Mm -hmm. it back to English, and it's always just wildly incorrect. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. It happens a lot in history, though. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah, The Bible's been translated a lot. (laughs) So many times. But we're not going to talk about that because it will completely discredit my entire theory okay okay Okay. so we're gonna completely (laughs) ignore that the bible has been translated a thousand times and nothing in it could possibly be accurate it's basically telephone yes yeah Yeah. Yeah, although there are christian branches that believe that the bible when it was written like actually put pen to paper it was inspired by god and so that's how they got it correct Mm -hmm. so we're gonna go with that sure that god put these words on paper through somebody else's hand Okay. I have yes. been to a church like that before. <laughs> All right. So in this chapter of Ezekiel, he is describing hell and who was there. Oh, okay. And so I kind of Frankensteined this passage from different English translations for clarity. So like I was looking at like the direct Hebrew to English translation and then I put it together so it makes more sense. Oh, okay. Yes, this might be where I'm talking out of my ass because I am not a religious scholar and I have no right to be Frankensteining translations. But here we are. Here we are. All right. And quote, Meshach and Tubal are there with all their hordes around their graves. All of them are uncircumcised, killed by the sword because they spread their terror in the land of the living. They do not lie with the mighty the fallen of the uncircumcised, those who have gone down to Sheol, laid with their weapons of war, their swords placed under their heads, and their bones show the iniquities because of the terror of the mighty in the land of the living. Okay, so... There's a lot uh, to I'm laughing because Nicholas is like, what? (laughs) The comments is just WTF. Okay, so Meshach and Tubal are Noah's sons, I believe. This sounds very familiar. I'm realizing how little I remember about anything I studied about Bible history. (laughs) And so they are in Sheol, which is hell, or the underworld, because hell is a little different in the Old Testament and in Jewish tradition. And so they are in hell. Yeah, Noah's grandsons, like Noah of Ark. His grandsons are dead in Sheol with their people. That's the hordes. They all have intact penises. Mm, they have not oh, been circumcised. Oh, good. I was really worried about that. Yeah. Yeah. Major concern for me. <laughs> this portion of the Bible is so concerned with male genitalia. It's like a little offensive. Yeah. Isn't it the same part where they talk about how somebody paid the currency of foreskins? Is that the same area? I I'm not sure. I'm, I'm sorry. Not. What? There's a part in the Bible where somebody demands to be paid in foreskin. So somebody goes out there and just like cuts a bunch of people up and brings a bunch of foreskins. I it's it makes weird. sense. So how does it make sense? <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, it makes sense to me. It's Samuel eighteen twenty seven. David took his men with him and went out and killed 200 Philistines and brought back their foreskins. Okay, 200. That's 200 foreskins. That's more foreskins than should ever be in one sentence. Do you think they transported them in baskets or sacks? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't feel like they specified. <laughs> and did they, like, dry them out? Why or? would you kill 200 people just for some skin? Regardless of what part of the body it's on. Dude, I don't know. Okay. All right. Why Why is this your topic? We're talking about space. <laughs> Get to the space already. You know how we That's always right. say all roads lead to cannibalism? I think all roads lead to dick jokes <laughs> in this podcast. Yes. Always. Yeah. Oh I will get to the space. Get I'm- to the space. Hurry up because okay. I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> I did right. not sign up for this. Says everybody Jeez. listening right now as Jesus well. Jesus Christ. Oh my God. All right. All right. So these men with their intact penises were killed violently because they were godless people. They are less than the Nephilim who were sent to Sheol equipped to protect themselves with their swords. And Noah's grandson's people acted immorally on earth and now they suffer. Okay. So to make this interpretation even more confusing. Oh, good. <laughs> Thank the, God. The Hebrew word hanfilim, which has been translated as Nephilim and the fallen, is derived from a verbal that could either mean that subject causes others to fall or the subject themselves have fallen. It could mean almost anything. And here we go. So what does this have to do with space? Thank God. (laughs) Finally arrived. (laughs) Xavier Hayes, author of Ancient Aliens in the Bible believes that much of the supernatural found in the Bible is a misinterpretation of aliens as God and his angels. I gotta go. I gotta go. (laughs) I need to leave. He says that the ancient authors lacked the proper vocabulary to describe what they were seeing. So I think he makes some good points, which I'm going to get into in a little bit. But also language is like a living thing and words are made up all the time and the meanings of existing words change over time as well. Not to mention that widespread literacy is a relatively new concept, and most stories were passed on orally in ancient times. But I actually think these facts strengthen his theories, while also throwing complete and utter doubt on taking anything from the Bible as fact, which we already talked about. That's fair. Okay, so we can possibly doubt everything in the Bible. But that being said, I was once a believer that dreamed of Marian apparitions, like I believed that the Virgin Mary appeared to me in dreams. So people believe really hardcore sometimes, and it's fun. So let's continue. (laughs) That's what faith. There's a lot of parts of Christianity that is based on faith that you shouldn't look too far into the facts because the whole point is that you need to have faith about it. Yep. Hayes makes it a point that he uses the Aleppo Codex, which is a Hebrew version of the Old Testament from 930 AD. Yeah, and he says this helps cut down on interpretive editing uh, so he can make his own interpretations. Mr. Hayes has also put forth that the Nephilim are descendants of aliens and also believes that Jesus was an alien. Okay. So I did not go into that at all. I did not like continue oh, that. Okay. I'm just That's thinking. just oh, fun fact. Our first episode <laughs> that we ever released, A for Archaeology, 
Karen called Christianity a cult. And I watched the stats on our episode go. So if you want to delete that, I won't fault you because we lost like half of our listeners. Oh, well, it's Karen makes no apologies. Karen, don't apologize for it. I 1000% support you. All right. Keep on going. Let's get through this. So Dr. Mark Giske. Giskak. There are a lot of consonants Giskak? in this name. It's G I S Z C Z A K. Giskak. Oh. Right? right. God bless you. Giskak. Yeah, that right. Sounds good. We just uh, got booed by Nicholas, by the way. Ah, <laughs> oh, well. First time right. we've ever been booed. I like it. <laughs> we have arrived. This is not the first time I've ever been booed. <laughs> the first time I'm I've ex- ever been booed. I'm extremely unpopular. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> yes, Jizz Keck. There it is. Jizz Keck. So the nice. doc disagrees. And I found an article on PillarCatholic.com in which his disagreements do a really good job of explaining the alien-human hybrid Nephilim concept. So he shot himself in the foot because I'm going to ignore everything he said except for what supports my theory. <laughs> Fair enough. That's the way I do it. So back to the Genesis passage, the Nephilim were on earth in those days and also afterwards when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them. So the sons of God and the daughters of humans. When I read this, I think these sons aren't human because it specified they were of God and not of humans, right? Like that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So some interpretations say angels and others like Hayes say angels are aliens. And so these sons of God are aliens impregnating human women and making the Nephilim a new race of super tall humanoids. Oh, okay. Did that track? A little bit. (laughs) So angels are aliens and the angels or the sons of God impregnated the daughters of humans creating the Nephilim, which is a new race of super tall humanoids, half alien, half human. Okay. So aliens came down and impregnated women and women had Nephilims. Yeah. I think I've seen a TV show that also depicted it this way. That's interesting. I think there might be an X-Files show, but I couldn't find the episode to really like look into it. So this won't align with your theories because... You've already said you're not going to look at all this, but there are books of the Bible that are left out because they picked and choose what they wanted to be in there. You know, uh-huh, Council uh-huh. and ICO and all that. But there is one book that talks about the the problem of how you have two people and then you have humanity, you know, talks about all the incesty things. But they took that out because they thought people would be kind of icked out about incest. Mm-hmm. So is this an alternative, <laughs> perhaps? Shocker. <laughs> To explain so, how humans got Actually, here. it was space aliens that started. <laughs> it wasn't I them mean, having uh, intercourse with relations. It was more like people descending from heaven. Oh, maybe. Who knows? Right? So the doc who disagrees with the alien theory believes that the, that, and I quote, scripture is unambiguous, unquote, about these sons of God being men. So he's like, obviously they're men. And that's all he does to describe that. So I'm like, nah, I don't believe you. He believes, though, that they are the sons of Seth, which was Adam's third son. So we have Cain, Abel, and then Seth is born. Wait a second. I am woefully unprepared for this. I never paid attention in Bible study, but Cain, Abel, and then Seth. 
Seth, yes. Seth is yes. It's like Cain, Abel, and Zach. Like Oh, Zach is like way more legit than Seth, I think, as far oh, as like my. biblical names go. Like oh, Zachary. Yeah. We are gonna my, offend so many people. We need to probably Yeah. My brother in law's so, name is Zachariah from the Bible, and my husband is Ezekiel from the Bible. So Oh, I love that name. Uh, well, my name is Catherine, also from the Bible. And then I have two siblings that also have names from the Bible. Yes. They deeply, were um, deeply Catholic over here. Okay. So Seth is the chosen line, according to scripture. And the daughters of human are the tainted children of Cain. Oh, okay. Yeah. So since he was the first, you know, murder and all that, the whole family got cursed. Yep. Yeah, cursed. Yeah, cur- like me. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, so it's not really incest if it's your cousin, right? Yes, it is. Yes, yeah. it still is. Yeah, that's yeah. Still, still illegal in most states. Still should be illegal everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I think. Um, nonetheless, I I think that's bullshit. I don't know where he's coming up with Seth out of the fallen. So. That's fine. All right. So it just seems to me that like they easily, whoever wrote Genesis could have said the sons of Seth and the daughters of Cain. Like why be, I mean, it's incredibly ambiguous. I don't know what the doc is talking about. Don't at me doc because I don't want to hear about it. (laughs) And he also argues that there have always been abnormally tall people. And I'm also unimpressed with that answer because the Nephilim aren't just tall. So Back in the Numbers passage, we learned that the Nephilim are so tall that they made the Israelites look like grasshoppers. I mean, that sounds like a like a much bigger gap than a five foot tall person and like a seven foot tall person. Yeah. And even if it is like just extreme hyperbole, the Nephilim still survived the Great Flood. So like Noah, right? Mm-hmm. So the flood happens in Genesis chapter six through nine with Noah and all of the animals except for the unicorn, obviously. And then the first mention of the Nephilim is in Genesis 6-4. So it's during this this period. Or it's before the flood. Like right before the flood, they talk about the Nephilim. And then Numbers occurs when the Israelites are fleeing Egypt, which is led by Moses. And for more perspective, Seth, Adam's son, is Noah's great-grandfather. And they all lived, going back to Adam, over 700 years each. So the flood happens with Noah. Moses is something like seven generations after Moa, Moa, after Noah. And their lives get shorter as history progresses. But I think I've illustrated that not only did the Nephilim survive the flood, they still stood out as extremely tall, hardy people thousands of years after the flood. And their tall genes were so strong that they weren't diluted seven or more generations later. So I'm going to say that's some alien adaptability. So I, I know the the timeline of humanity is a little fuzzy in the Bible. So mm-hmm. where is that? Do you know in relation to like Neanderthals and other types of humans? Because there were several uh, different types of humans before we became Homo sapiens. That is a good question. One that I cannot answer. Oh. <laughs> but that is interesting. Well, I know that like Homo habilis was like 2.4 million years ago in like Africa. So. Oh, so these are only at like maybe eight, 10,000 years ago. Okay. Yeah. So just in the thousands, not millions. Right. So like the close, closer to the, 
the uh-huh. Jesus times. Okay. I mean, they can, yeah. I mean, they're still discovering because a lot of the ancient, our ancient ancestors, like we all share a common ancestor. So we're not necessarily, it's the same thing when people are like, we're not from monkeys. No, no, we did not have a cousin that evolved or whatever. No, we share a common ancestor and then we branched out. And it's the same mm-hmm. thing with like all the like homo habilis, homo sapiens, all that. We all share a common ancestor and then we branched out. So maybe mm-hmm. one of them was just like popped out of nowhere, like super tall and hardy because I've survived millions of years. And then they were like, what the fuck are you? Where'd you come from? And maybe they like pointed to the sky or something and they're like, boom, alien. Did I, I, mean, did I just logic this up? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, that's totally possible. Yeah. Yeah. It, it blows my mind just how many different kinds of, we just don't learn this stuff in school. Like how many types of humans were around before we as homo sapiens came around. Like, there's a bunch. It just blows my mind. So, of course, if you're more of a, I don't want to say primitive, but if you're more from a society, a new society, you just got civilization and you don't know that there's a whole wide world out there and you don't know that people can come from other places, that would be very alien to you. That's possible. Hmm. All right. I've got just one more point. They are called the fallen, as in fallen from the sky. Aliens, I rest my case. <laughs> <laughs> Mic drop. I like it. Like, you're like I hear I hear you, but aliens. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and that is uh, that is my take on the Nephilim. Well, I'm gonna be touching a little on that. Well done, here, Peck. So. Ooh. Yeah. Just gonna segue right in. Astronomy. <laughs> oh yes. Yes, sign me up. Let's oh, go. I'm so excited. It's the oldest science in human existence. And Ooh. I think we'd be kidding ourselves to assume that early humans on this planet didn't look up at the sky and think, what's going on up there? And if then eventually like, hey, we should figure that out. So it's probably one of the first things as humans we did, you know? There's nothing else to do. I mean, you're just didn't have TV. Your- didn't yeah. have Netflix. Didn't have fire yet. You're just oh, sitting yeah. in the dark with the sky with no light pollution. <laughs> just, what else are you going to do? And yeah. Like I mentioned before, the earliest known humans, Homo habilis, which fun fact means handyman. Huh. Really? Did he okay. use tools? Yes. Super oh, smart people. Okay. Well, I guess and that makes sense. So they were around <laughs> 2.4 million to 1.4 million years ago in Eastern and Southern Africa. This is the first accounts that we know of today of humans. But yeah, just picture it. You're in Africa with that beautiful sky. There's no light pollution. There's no pollution pollution. It's just, boom, space. And imagine Mm. how bright all the stars are that long ago because they're all bright and shiny and haven't burned out. Yeah. Man, I'm jealous. Me too. I mean, (laughs) even today it's hard to find a place that doesn't have light pollution where you can see the the sky. Mm-hmm. I've been to a couple, and I have to say, they have been mesmerizing. So, mm-hmm. I get what you're saying. Mm-hmm. We went camping on a mountain last summer, and it was the first time I really saw the stars. And I was like, I've been missing this my whole life. Yeah. It's a big so, thing. Yeah. Well, mesmerizing. I mean, luckily, I'm from such small towns that on mountains and stuff. So, I grew up with that. So, now when I'm in a city, I'm like, this is weird, because you can't see anything. No. Mm-hmm. No, you can't. So, also... It's terrifying because the sky is wild in. Imagine seeing your first eclipse and full moon that turns into a crescent moon or 
meteor shower or comet or Mercury's in retrograde and you're feeling weird. It is right now, though. It is until June 22nd, and I've had problems, so I don't really believe in it. But I'm also like, is Mercury in retrograde? Yes, I think so. Oh, I believe in it. I always feel so out of sorts. I am having problems, but we're also both Virgos, so God knows how that's going to I've had extra anxiety this week, and I finally Uh-oh. asked somebody, and they're like, it is. It is in retrograde. I have anxiety in general, though. It's hard to tell if it's more or less. Yeah. It, it just, I was buzzing today with it. And I'm like, what is wrong with you, brain? Nothing's mm. happened. Stop it. It was like, calm <laughs> the F down. I start having yeah. these talks. I, I, I'm like crazy person in my car. Cause I'll be like, okay, anxiety. We ain't doing the shit today. Like nothing happened to you. Stop. It yep. doesn't help. Yep. Oh, we both do that you too. You are in good company. Let me tell <laughs> yep. you. Yep. Just breathe, Karen. Just breathe. You are fine. Mine's Literally. more like. Stop being a little bitch, Casey. <laughs> See, you're so mean to yourself. I'm just like, I'm in, you're in bed, you're cozy. No, relaxed. I'm like, get your shit together. We have stuff to do, okay? Yeah. Whether oh, that's just... sleeping or driving or whatever it may be, hold your crap together. <laughs> oh, Casey. So, yeah, I imagine it would be absolutely terrifying to be the first humans to see an eclipse or something. You'd surely Agreed. think you were going to die, I'm sure, mm-hmm. of it. Oh, and yeah. So that's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen, paired with probably the most anxiety-inducing terror you've ever seen. So mm-hmm. that's fun. And then it got me thinking, not to brag, but according to 23andMe, I am 39% more de- Neanderthal than most people. So I'm yeah. going to now consider my anxiety ancient, and it stems from space being scary. That she is, is flexing hard. Look yeah, how hard like she's it. flexing. That's I like a, it. My reach today. I'm reaching, but that's where I'm going to do. I'm going to blame my ancestors <laughs> for my anxiety because space is scary. But enough mm-hmm. about me. We're going to fast forward a bit. Humans have evolved into modern homo sapiens. Civilizations are emerging and they're looking up. And it's now becoming a science, not just a pastime, if you will. So mm-hmm. what is super cool about this particular science, which, by the way, is the study of the universe and its celestial bodies like planets and stars and such, is that we know a lot about it because our ancestors all over the world, every civilization did it, left us evidence through art, writing, folklore, religion, monuments. So we've learned a lot about how they saw the world and how they documented. Just so yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. The oldest star chart discovered so far was found in 1979 in Germany, and it's believed to be between 32,500 and 38,000 years old. That is crazy. It's mind-blowingly old. I can't, I can't even imagine. Mm. And it was on no. carving on a mammoth tusk, so on ivory, Ooh. and it was a very small area of it, so it was very... There was a lot of intent, you know. They didn't cover mm-hmm. the whole thing. It just looked like they meant to do it the way they did it. And it was a figure whose limbs were positioned in the same shapes as the constellation of Orion. Hmm. So I'm like, look at that. Constellations even back then. Sounds like and, an awesome tattoo to get. Right? And mm-hmm. then there's some people that argue that Lasso <laughs> in France, you know, the cave... Super famous cave. We've talked about it like way back in the day on the podcast. But some people think that they represent the Pleiades in the cave. And if that's true, that'd be 33,000 to 10,000 years ago in France. Very, very long time ago. They're starting to write this stuff down, which is just incredible. So cool. 
So one of the coolest things about this podcast is that I sometimes stumble on something that I've never heard of when I'm looking up something else. And this mm-hmm. was going to go a different direction. I was going to talk more about astronomers and history and go through ancient stuff. But then I discovered Dr. Harita Holdbrook, and she is a cultural astronomer. And I didn't know that was a thing. Me neither. My brain has been blown Huh. She is an expert in African indigenous astronomy, the culture of astronomy itself, and astrophysics. What the fuck? I want to be so, I want to be cool like her. I do. And I, no, I will never be that smart. Physics neither. is hard. And she also is a documentary filmmaker. So, I mean, she can do it all. But she's also an advocate for women and minorities in astronomy and science. And last episode, we talked about how a lot of women that are in, you know, astronomy or astrophysicists and, you know, NASA, everybody's really trying to push for more women and minorities to be in STEM. It's really important because for a long Mm -hmm. time, they were kind of excluded and pushed out. So now everybody's trying to. Yeah, girls are not good at math. Which is so weird to me because if you ever... Look up, you know, the movie Hidden Figures in the book, you know, they were hiring women to be computers because they thought women could do detailed orient stuff better than men. So it's just weird that there's been this cultural shift that now women aren't good at math and science and we should do other things when they were actively seeking out women after the war to come work at NASA. It just blows my mind. It's just a way for them to, like, pay these jobs more and these jobs less and say exactly. that... These jobs are more important. That's why they deserve more, not because they're men's work and these are women's work. Yeah, that makes my blood boil. All right. So cultural astronomy is an interdisciplinary field concerned with the many different ways in which cultures, both ancient and modern, perceive and conceptualize celestial objects and integrate them into their view of the world. It just Mm. sounds so cool. I can't believe I couldn't major in that. (laughs) And it's just so fascinating because it shows how civilizations all over the world use this science to seek those theoretical and spiritual answers of, uh, I thought I saw something out of the corner of my eye. I'm nothing there. (laughs) I just freaked myself out. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, They were like wondering, like, is that God or is that God's? And, you know, why is this happening? And why doesn't it happen then? I think it's a lot cooler now that I know that they use for a practical sense to survive and thrive. Like, I've always just thought it was, you know, to explore and understand. But no, they were literally using this to live. And I'm Mm -hmm. going to explain what that means. All right. Does it have to do with horticulture and agriculture? Yes, that's actually my next sentence. <laughs> okay, sorry. No, <laughs> no, yeah. So the first one is a biggie, agriculture. Foraging is really hard. Hunting is really hard. Migrating is really hard. And all of this hard stuff is also really dangerous because if you're hunting a mammoth and it tramples all your people, what are you going to do? You know? And if you eat the wrong berry, you're dead. You know, all of this just sounds really difficult, and I don't like it, and I don't think I would have done very well in any other part of history. <laughs> as much as I love it, I would not I would not survive. I just wouldn't. And also, don't get me started on temporary shelters. They're not protecting you from much. All the no. animals are still trying to go in there and eat you. It's not mm. going to stop a snake from slithering up and biting you while you're sleeping. I don't – in the weather, <laughs> there's no walls. There, no. I this is like why it. I married a man who can build shit. 
because I, I can't build anything, but I can grow food and I can make textiles. So we're pretty much set up. We've got food, shelter, and clothing. Zombie apocalypse training. Yes. yes. So eventually, boom, we get farming and this allowed people to grow everything they needed so they could stay in one place. And mm-hmm. since you're not moving around, you have time to build shelters with like actual walls and <laughs> roofs. And they were able to build extra buildings to stockpile things so they didn't run out. And before you knew it, civilization emerged. And it's beautiful. Yeah. And you know what is super helpful for all that farming? Knowing that growing and harvesting and seasons all are attached to the sky. The moon really helps with that. It does. So after (laughs) astronomy. Yeah, they could figure out when the seasons are. They could figure out when the tides are going in and out and flooding. And all that stuff was so integral to figuring out what they were doing. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. another big part of that is calendars and timekeeping methods. You know what happens when you can tell time and schedule things and know what day it is? An economy. You can have an economy. Just it blows my mind how connecting the dots here. It's all things I knew, but when you say it out loud, I'm like, whoa, mind blown. Ancient civilizations all over the world, from the Middle East to the Americas to Africa and China, had astronomers that were figuring out the approximate length of a year and developing sophisticated calendars. Mm, That's so fun. Good on them. About 4,236 BCE, the Egyptians adopted the first 365-day calendar, that is some smart shit. Right? Which we are all a slave to now. Thanks, Egyptians. <laughs> it's not their fault that our Earth goes around the sun in mm-hmm. that amount of times. That's true. Yeah, so technically it's 365 and a quarter. And instead of having a leap day like we do, they left it in. So it accumulated and it actually kind of made their seasons a little wonky. And it took like a thousand mm-hmm. and something years for everything to kind of reset. But they didn't know mm-hmm. that. But they were still so close. And, like, the Chinese, I think, were very close, very, very close to figuring it out at the same time. So it's also amazing that these people are developing it all over the world at the same time with no contact. Mm -hmm. Next, we have travel. And it's funny because we were talking about GPS earlier. Without GPS, I would be screwed. But a lot of these civilizations figured it out. So... Short history books are always going to talk about Europeans exploring, following the stars, blah, blah, blah. But the distance the they sunstone. Yeah. So even <laughs> just, oh, I just, I, mm, <laughs> colonizers. <laughs> but yeah, so even the distances they traveled are nothing. I repeat, nothing on what people like the Pacific Islanders were traveling. And mm. I'm about to blow your mind. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Okay, so Pacific Islanders were traveling approximately a 10 million square mile triangle, the Polynesian Triangle. And I had no concept of how large that was because my tiny brain just can't understand that. So here we go. The United States is 3.8 million square miles. And this was 10. So it's like two and a half times as big. Yeah. Russia is 6.6. Russia's big. It is. And Australia is 2.9 million square miles. And Canada is 3.8. So this is the the triangle. So it's going to be New Zealand in one corner, Hawaii in one corner, and then Easter Island over here. So South America, Australia. Yeah. That's big. 
huge. That is that's basically a continent on itself. Yeah, for sure. Sometimes yeah, I forget absolutely. how how big the ocean is. I don't. Yeah. This is why I'm terrified of the ocean. So how did they do this? They actually calculated their position on Earth by memorizing star maps, and then they would use the angle of the stars above the horizon to determine latitude. So, for example, the top and bottom stars of the Southern Cross are separated by six degrees. And when the distance between those stars is equal to the bottom star's altitude above the horizon, your northerly latitude is 21 degrees, that of Honolulu. So they had all lots of math, so much math. But yeah, they, my head. Fi- yeah, they just figured out that stars here, like they put their hand up and the triangle degree, that kind of math, super hate that kind of math. But yeah, they, they figured it out and it was so precise that they could travel between, you know, Australia and South America. It's featureless ocean. There's no landmarks, nothing at all. And they did that it with scares me. Such precision and didn't get lost. It just blows my mind. It, it's too much, honestly. And, and like I said, they use their hands. And if you've ever seen Moana, she does that where she puts her hand up to the sky and there's the bright star by mm-hmm. her pointer finger. And that's Polaris. So that's the North Star, the one that's fixed. So it's actually called, oh, I hope I'm saying this right. I Googled so many times, but I apologize if I don't. Uh, Hakupua'a which means fixed star, and that's their north star that they would follow. And then Polaris, you probably recognize from the Underground Railroad, and this helped guide those escaping enslavement to the north. They even had a song called Follow the Drinking Gourd, Follow Polaris, and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it'll find your way to freedom. Oh, my heart. It's beautiful. But yeah, the stars have been leading people to freedom and safety (laughs) for, for so long. I mean, the stars leading people to safety is beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah I'll give you that part. Well, it was like a sign of hope for a lot of people. And then uh-huh. now I'm about to make a twist because it's history. And of course I am. So colonialism was a result of this travel. And they also figured out how the stars could lead them to new places so they could, you know, destroy cultures and kill people. <laughs> I feel like my throat's closing up because I get so angry thinking about it. But <laughs> One example that's just horrifying to me is Easter Island. So one of the corners of the triangle we just talked about, right? Mm-hmm. By the time the colonizers arrived, they had stores, just stores everywhere, filled with these wooden tablets that described their history and everything they discovered about the stars and navigation, everything about their origin stories, everything about who they were as a people. And while they were trying to destroy the power structure and force feed them Christianity and delete their religion and their culture, they encouraged them, I'm doing this in quotes, mm-hmm. to burn those tablets as firewood and <sighs> essentially wiped out their entire history. And listen, most sources say encouraged, but I'm going to take an educated guess here and say that it wasn't a friendly, hey, you should do that. It was probably a very under duress if you don't do this you don't know what they're going to do to you so Mm. essentially you're watching your entire history things your ancestors created for you to learn your history burn literally and if that's not just a symbol of how fucking awful colonialism i don't know what is just Mm. to literally watch all that history burn things that Mm. most people can't 
get back. You know, some cultures had, you know, oral traditions and you had one person that knew all your history. But from what it sounds like, they didn't have that because they had it all written down. So today we don't know much at all about Easter Island. You know, no, we don't. It, it's a huge mystery. And it's it's so sad because it it was such an incredible culture. It just had to have been. It had to have been magnificent. And now we don't know anything about Rapa Nui people. And it spawned more conspiracy theories than actual facts. Like they're aliens or it, they deforested their island and they became cannibals, which is an actual theory it just blows my mind and it makes me so angry so are you saying this is another thing i can blame on the catholic church yes (laughs) yes you know the conversions we're going to delete everything about you and replace that with what we think you should do and say and dress and think and believe um (laughs) and while we're here let's just go into the whole power aspect there is a big link between the skies and political power The earliest people we'd probably call astronomers were priests, priestesses, and elites that had observed the sky and they'd figured out ways to predict things like eclipses and the solstices. They were held in really high regard and very powerful people. In many ancient cultures, you'll find that political figures would tell stories about how they came from the sky and not because they were aliens, but because the skies were a place of mystery and authority. So hmm. think about the Egyptians, right? Many of the rulers, and I say many because not all of them. You have like Akhenaten who just threw everything out the window and was like, there's one God. Nobody liked it. Not a popular <laughs> dude. But most of them said that they were the living manifestation of the sun god, Ra. So mm-hmm. if your entire survival is based on an agricultural society, it depends on the sun and it depends on the flooding of the Nile Therefore, the sun is going to be the most important thing for your survival as well. So if mm-hmm. you're saying, I am the sun, that means I am really important. So it really checks out. You're aligning yourself with the most important thing in that society. So, of course, all the... That is kings. so fucking manipulative. It is. But you see it in <laughs> a lot of civilizations. A lot of them really do align themselves with the sun god. You see it in Maya oh. religions as well. And Interesting, because yeah. they both have pyramids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but the pyramids are different if you look at I mean, they're both, like, angular, but they look yeah, different. We're about to look at one. The ancient tribe in Mali, Africa, the Dogon people, they claim knowledge of the heavens was learned from people who descended to Earth from the stars. So that's part of their tradition, too. So mm. aliens. <laughs> yeah, so this whole ancient <laughs> astronaut thing kept popping up. But yeah, people... All over the world, origin stories, a lot of people came from the sky. But also the skies are mysterious and powerful and they have control over everything. So it makes sense that you would, you know, make some connections. But it's also a huge power move to be like, I am the sun. I am God. I mean, I just told people I was an alien. So, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if you think about like Hatshepsut, you know, she's like, I don't want to be queen. I want to be pharaoh. So then she's like, God told me I am actually God, so therefore I'm Pharaoh, so bow down, bitches. And it worked, you know? You align yourself with the most powerful thing and then seize control. And it worked. Good for her. Yeah. And she was the most powerful Pharaoh in Egyptian history, so. Take that, other people. (laughs) (laughs) Other people that try to erase her history. Mm -hmm. Just because she had ovaries. 
Yeah. I I love her story just because they chiseled her name and her face out of everything, but somebody left one spot, and that's how we figured out she existed. And I just like to think somebody did that on purpose. Like, someday somebody will figure her out. She was cool. Anyway, so naturally, ancient people were seeking answers to understanding their universe, and they were blown away by what they saw. As Space.com puts it, quote, little wonder, then, that the contemplation of the cosmos can evoke the same emotions as religious awe and reverence. And that was actually a quote by the Vatican astronomer, which was a job I did not know they had, and I find very ironic considering what the Catholic Church to do astronomers. Just throwing that out there. How is that a thing? I I don't get it. Uh, There's probably so much of our history globally of astronomy that the Vatican has that we will probably never know exists because they were stealing it up for colonizing. (laughs) The term cosmos means ordered world. So for most of recorded history, humans (laughs) believe that God created or God's created the universe out of chaos and then we'd get these incredible origin stories which i find the most fascinating to see what ancient cultures believe is their origin it's all about chaos and how finally everything came together and then there was peace and then we have the earth and all that so and then people fucked it up yeah but i find it really interesting that all over the world everybody has the same idea chaos to now so I find it interesting that everybody came to the conclusion that we were all born of chaos. Maybe humans have always just been so erratic that we're like, obviously, that's what happened. I don't know. They have their creation stories, but then there's so much more to discover. You know, where do people come from? Why does the sun come up over here and then go away on that side? Why does the water go up and down? And why does the moon look brighter and bigger? And just so many things were happening. Or like, why do crops do really well right now, but not? A few months from now, but they don't have months yet. So Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So they're trying to weave together some sort of understanding of their world. So that's when we get really great myths and tales and beliefs that are all interwoven with the sun and the moon and the stars. It's so beautiful. (laughs) And so, of course, you can't talk about ancient civilizations and how religion and space are all intermingly without talking about all the incredible sites and monuments they created. Ah. (laughs) this is where i will geek out okay so they created so many places that align with solstices and equinoxes and stars etc oh my gosh okay so first up stonehenge right right yeah so even today thousands of people except for last year we don't speak of last year travel to stonehenge (laughs) in england during the summer solstice it's a monument that aligns with the midsummer sunrise and the midwinter sunset So on the summer solstice, when the day is beginning and the sun is rising, it rises directly behind the heel stone. And the ancient entrance to the stone circle, there's rays of sunlight that are channeled directly into the center of the monument, but only at that sunrise. And then it's over. And so archaeological (laughs) excavation... As soon as the sun moves, it's over. But they found excavations that there was another large stone. So it looks like the heel stone had another one. And they were kind of like partner stones that framed the sunrise. Although the tallest, oh, I think I'm going to trilophon at the monument is no longer standing. But the sun would have set between a narrow gap of these upright stones during the winter solstice. So again, from the other side, it would be this little slit of light going in. And it would have dropped down into an altar stone. 
a sandstone block which was placed across the solstice axis. So in other words, Stonehenge, which we know pretty much nothing about. Everything is a guess. You know, there's a lot of theories. But we do know that its entire purpose is about the movement of the sun. And it's positioned solely to catch these solstices. Incredible. I know some of the early theories is that it was a burial ground at first. And then thousands of years later, another group of people came in. But nobody knows. I hope someday we do know. Because that seems... That would be awesome. Yeah. I would love to understand the Druids. Like, pretty much Uh, all the Celtic things that were going on are so incredible. And we know nothing. I just, I would love to know what was going on. I really hope I'm, like, a descendant of a druid and, like, at some point, like, I'm going to, like, inherit their magic. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> yes. It'd be incredible. Yes. And then I would smite to those who affront me. Oh, okay. <laughs> so the next site is another favorite of mine, Machu Picchu. Hmm. So this is an incredible Inca site on top of the mountain overlooking the Yurubamba Valley in Peru. And there's this giant stone at the top of this sacred mountain called the Intihuantana, which means the place where the sun gets tired. Let me show you what it looks like. Well, bam. So this stone is perfectly positioned so that each corner sits at the four cardinal points, so northeast, southwest, and at an angle of about 13 degrees northward. So usually the stone casts a shadow throughout the day, as anything else would. But exactly at noon on the date of the spring or fall equinox, the sun shadow disappears completely. Hmm. How incredible is that to figure out how to make the shadows go away? I'm just... It blows my mind. Who has the time? So the stone is a precise indicator of the date of both equinoxes. I I mean, I mean, that's just, it's just too cool. It is. And as they get closer to it, they know what they should be planting, you know, like by the shadows, they'll know what they need to plant. Absolutely. And another cool fun fact about Machu Picchu, which I think I've mentioned on the podcast before, but I don't remember. One of my professors in college, who is the rock art specialist, he was doing research at Machu Picchu and he found some rock art. And people walk by it every single day. It's right out in the open. It's right where everybody tourists go. And he kept seeing it. And so he started doing research and nobody had talked about it. So he found some rock art and started diving deeper into it. And it appears to be another civilization that might have been there before the Incas. So if that's correct, he's just completely rewritten history. What? That's incredible. (laughs) Right? You know how hard it is to get an A in a class with somebody who's literally changed history? It's difficult. (laughs) So another one of my favorites, and okay, honestly, all these are my jam, so I'm going to say that every time, but it's (laughs) Chichen Itza in Mexico. So this was built by the Mayas around 1000 CE, and the play of the sun's light on it signals the beginning of the seasoning, seasonings, Kina. Oh my God. This is when he starts seasoning people? (sighs) Potatoes. Come over. (laughs) I have some chicken that needs some work. Let's do this. I'm hungry. You can tell. Okay. So the beginning of the seasons, and this is a flex. I think this is probably one of the coolest things that has to do with astronomy. So, on the spring equinox, for example, the light patterns on the snake 
is what the Mayas called the return of the sun serpent. And the snake symbolizes Kukulkan, which was the leader and ruler of Chichen Itza, who associated himself with the feather serpent god, Kazakotl. So let me show you this video. It's funny how I can't say literally anything in French or Spanish, but I can pronounce it. Oh, Chichen Itza. I mean, I've been to Mexico. Yeah, that's like kind of second language. So, oh, I've actually been there. Yeah. So this is a snake. You got the head down here, and then uh-huh. you got the body. So yeah. at the equinox, let me turn that off. Okay. This is a time lapse, so it should start. So as the equinox is happening, the shadow's going to move to the, where it looks like the snake is slithering down the stairs until he's completely gone down here. Oh, this is very, okay. It's super cool. It's incredible. Like, thousands and thousands of people go to watch this it's amazing how they did that it is it is and okay listen so san antonio has a lot of missions and there's this one in particular that has this hole in the almost to the ceiling but once a year with the sun the light shines perfectly and creates a cross in the floor of the what do they call it it's not chapel uh Church? Oh, where, where the priest stands, the Oh, pop it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a cross Okay, appears. Karen. Karen showing her skin. <laughs> I was an altar server. <laughs> so we went yes. there, and the, the priest was talking about this, and was talking about how amazing, how is this, like, architectural feat or whatever. And then he goes, I have no idea how they figured out how to do it. It's a mystery. Nobody knows. And all I could think of was, like, You basically enslaved a bunch of Mexicans who are descended from the people who had been doing this for thousands of years. They had perfected it in all of their civilizations. And you're over here being like, oh, I don't know how the priests That's almost like slavery. (sighs) Yeah. Don't don't get Karen started. I mean, not that I'm not equally (laughs) upset, but we went on a huge rant in Q for Queens. Like, it was half an hour so. Oh, gosh. I was, like, screaming. I know oh, you yeah. were screaming. Not that I was not equally upset, but anyway, we got. I'm more yeah. audible with my anguish. I mean, I well, okay. So for me, my family had been slaves way back when. So to me, I'm just like, okay, I accept the fact that shitty things have happened. But I appreciate you being someone who doesn't have relatives who were slaves fighting the good fight. Well, my relatives definitely had slaves. We're not talking about Confederate generals, and I am pissed off about that. We do talk about this a lot. (laughs) Yeah, probably too much. But isn't that the goal to make all your ancestors so pissed off to just know how liberal you are now? It makes me happy. Oh my God. Their bones are probably shaking in their graves. (laughs) Yeah, so if you ever go to one of these old missions that have something cool with the light, just remember it was probably, you know, the indigenous people that created that because that had been something part of their culture forever. I I have to try to remember sometimes that not everybody has taken like three classes in Mesoamerican history. (laughs) So I have to remember that, you know, that's not common knowledge that if you've never been to Chichen Itza or if you've never been to Mexico, you probably don't know these things. So that's why I preach about it now. If you're experiencing something you consider a phenomenon, though, aren't you curious? Don't you look it up? I mean, mean, maybe, but he might not have been able to. I mean, if you Google that, it probably doesn't say anything. 
Unless you make the connection to the people that were there, I guess. That's what I'm – I mean, I could be completely wrong, but I'm just educated guess. It probably was the people that were building these knew how to do that or they figured it out, you know. Mm-hmm. Anywho, we're going to go to Ireland next. Ah, fun. So around 3200 BCE, the ancient people built a huge mound of dirt and surrounded it with stones. Today, this knoll is called Negrange. So let me pull that picture up. I think I'm saying that right. A lot of words in Irish look like I'm saying it right, and then I'm not. Don't worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you're in good company because neither Karen or I actually pronounce anything correctly. Never. Okay, really. So that's the mound, and it's a beautiful. Oh wow, that's that's intense. So when you said. A mound of dirt surrounded by stones. I was thinking a molehill, but that is <laughs> no, a mountain. That is basically a mini mountain. What are we yeah. doing here? Yeah, it's gorgeous. So for five mm. days around the winter solstice, a beam of light illuminates a small room inside this mound for 17 minutes at dawn. The room only holds 20 people at a time. So every year, thousands of people enter a lottery in hopes that they get to experience this. Not on board with entering a lottery to go underground. That's my claustrophobia. That's just my claustrophobia. Like, oh, that sounds like a hellscape to me. (laughs) Hey, Casey, you're going. Look at that. So it's very claustrophobic, but cool. You could give it to me because I would definitely go in there. Okay, I got it. One more picture. We're moving on. Moving on to the Great Sphinx and the Pyramid of Khafra in Egypt. So, on the spring or fall equinoxes, a peculiar phenomenon occurs. If you stand directly in front of the Sphinx, like this photo. Again, if you want to see these photos, join Patreon. So, shameless plug. Plug, plug, Ignore the crashing noise in the background. That was me, and I dropped something. So, if you're in front of the Sphinx, facing it at sunset on the date of either equinox, the sun, as it's nearing the horizon will fit directly on the Sphinx's right shoulder. At this angle, the sun also sits at the southern corner of the Pyramid of Khafra, like exactly at that corner. And so there is more of a controversial idea that the three Great Pyramids align with Orion's belt. And I'm about to show you a photo, which is a cool theory, but they're slightly off. So if you can see here, they've drawn the pyramids and the stars over here. So they're all slightly off. And some people were like, well, maybe that means that since then everything shifted a little bit. But, you know, we have the science now to know that it would have been impossible for the stars to move this much. So it's not very likely. And What if the sediment shifted? I mean, that's possible. But there's some experts that are like, this was just coincidence. And then there's other theories that they were put in this direction for other reasons but then some people think that the tunnels that go up to the top they call them star tunnels and they're like well maybe it has something to do with the alignment too and there's just a lot of mystery surrounding that so i didn't go too far into it just because nobody can agree on what any of that means Hmm. i feel like there are so many other mysteries with the pyramids like i'm not that worried about where they're lined up yeah yeah i mean they're incredible and i'm sure everything they did with it had a purpose because they were I mean, they were incredible. And I mean, the stars were really important to them because a lot of beliefs involved, you know, the kings that were gods, the pharaohs, 
became stars. So there's probably mm-hmm, some mm-hmm. symbolic aspect of it, but there's no one answer. So that could be another answer. That could be another episode if I go through all the theories. There were so many, I couldn't sum them up. So we're just going to move it on. And uh, I could literally go on forever because there's so many, but we'd be here all week. So I'm going to stop, but I'm going to end with a couple of more fun facts. So women in a lot of different cultures use the phases of the moon to regulate their fertility, which was super Mm -hmm. important. If you think of any major civilization, fertility is one of the most important aspects of that because people are trying to populate, you know, all that. Yeah. fishermen would figure out the tides and how it was regulated by the moon so they would know when to go out fishing and when they shouldn't because you know they die so that's mm-hmm, a little fun mm-hmm. fact so people yeah it's kind of important yeah so yeah. literally the moon stars sun it was just a huge part of every aspect of civilization and i just find that fascinating that they just they utilized astronomy to survive and thrive not just yeah entertainment or it's not just the question and looking for answers no they're trying to figure out how not to starve to death that's just so cool to me and that's why cultural astronomy is so important and there's Mm -hmm. also this really cool thing where we need to start studying it more to understand on a grand scale so i was as clear as mud but here we go so ancient astronomers (laughs) documented a lot of the stars that we see today, not a lot's going to change. I mean, there might be a few here and there that burned out, but it's mostly the same sky that they saw, which is also mind bending to think about it. But today there are 88 official constellations and these are established by the International Astronomical Union, the IAU. And then there are these things called asterisms, which are groups of stars that are given a name, but they aren't an official constellation. So a lot of times when scholars are talking about indigenous cultures, they're calling those asterisms, just to (laughs) clarify that. So part of studying ancient civilizations is to take into account cultural context. So a lot of what we call, quote unquote, official comes from the Greeks. So the Greeks are actually pulling their information from their own culture, from the you know, Babylonians and from Egypt. Forgot mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. I was going. So if you imagine this is like a small little oval, right? So you got Egypt to the Middle East back. And then you think mm-hmm. of that yeah. as a span of the globe, you're missing out almost the entire planet. So they're only seeing it from this tiny little circle's perspective. There's no representation of what they were doing in the Americas or China or the Polynesians or droid- dro- droids. <laughs> Druids, that's Star Wars. That's not. These are not the droids you're looking for. Yes. So, so much of the world wasn't considered. And yeah, it's totally messed up. That like, yeah, all we're taught in high school about ancient history, it's like Egypt, Greece, Rome. That's it. Yeah, and that was all of it. The coolest parts of this is so Mesopotamia, Babylonians. They were some of the most advanced in this. And you don't really mm-hmm. learn about that. The Babylonians had figured out sunspots at this time. Like, what? You know? Wow. Just, it's just blow. It blows my mind. So these people are studying the differences in interpretations of stars. So, for example, Scorpius, right? The constellation. It forms mm-hmm. a scorpion. huh? And it's featured in mythology in the Middle East and in Greece. And Greece is pulling from the same people, right? They all have scorpions. Mm-hmm. They all have the same mythology. But not so much everywhere else. If you go to New Zealand, this exact same constellation is Maui's fish hook. And that is so important to their mythology. 
Because mm-hmm. Maui's mm-hmm. a demigod, and they are like, he pulled up the island with his fish hook. So they made that constellation what was important to them. So constellations reflect what was most important to these locations. And obviously, you're not going to have a scorpion in a place where people have never seen a scorpion before. So Is Maui, the constellation, the same as like Maui in Hawaii? That's so interesting. I never made that connection before. Yeah. So New Zealand is one of the corners of the Polynesian Triangle. And I really Mm -hmm. think that's so interesting that that's people's jobs to be like, okay, this is what they saw and this is what they saw, but it's the same star. And now let's compare notes. Mm -hmm. I need to learn so much more about the um, Pacific Island area. Oh, it's so so interesting. Their history is incredible. Incredible. So the Pleiades yes. is another really fun asterism. So it's a tight cluster of stars, and it's been featured all over. Like we said, some people think it's in Lascaux in France. So people have been seeing these stars, and they're like, what the hell is that? And I just love the differences of what civilizations saw. So in Norse mythology, the Pleiades are Freya's chickens. And then in Greek mythology, those stars they saw as the Seven Sisters. Okay. That's- and then if you go to the Ni'itsi Tape tribe, which is also called the Blackfoot in North America, oh, where their story is that the Pleiades were orphan children. And then like the Philippines, they think they're a flock of birds. And there's more. There's one civilization that thought there was chickens and eggs. There's a whole lot more people like women being cast out for doing things. I think there was one in the Hebrew... And it was something about the fallen angels. Anywho, today, today we still use stars. They're reliable for navigation. We still use a calendar. We tell time. We observe and document the planets and stars. We explore. We're constantly learning. And so in a way, all these practices that we talked about for once on this podcast, they're not dead practices. They're just ancient. And we still use all of them. And that blows my mind. Something that's the oldest science in human history is something that we use today constantly. Yeah, super cool. I know. I'm so excited. (laughs) Geeking out. You may notice that Karen is no longer here. We had some technical difficulties and uh, ended the episode abruptly. But I wanted to give Casey a chance to tell you where to find the podcast and all that before we go. Yeah, so sorry about that. (laughs) I'm pretty sure I was the problem. Um, <laughs> if you would like to reach out to us or listen to any of our nonsense, uh, probably I got a small taste of it on uh, the last episode, you can uh, reach us at elopodcast at gmail.com. We are also on Instagram at Encyclopedia Obscura, and we have a Twitter handle, so elopodcast. Um, you can find us on Twitter. Tweet us our weird, mysterious, obscure things that we cover for the encyclopedia. So we actually have uh, our first fan pick coming up for uh, Letter T. Oh, that's exciting. You've got suggestions, reach out because we will definitely do an episode for you. So, I mean, as long as it's, you know, within boundaries. (laughs) Within reason, of course, of course. And also I realized, because we recorded this a while ago, the first half of this, that today is Father's Day. So happy Father's Day, everybody. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there and to my father. Yes, yes. And it's also summer solstice, which I talked about summer solstice and it didn't dawn on me that this would be coming out <laughs> on summer solstice. So. Nice timing. There you go. Yeah. Although I did see that after we recorded, they canceled the Stonehenge Festival this year, too. 
Oh, okay. So that was very uh, COVID. controversial. Yeah. <sighs> so, I mean, that's like thousands of people. That's a lot of people. So. A little bit too much for right now. I think we were not quite there yet, personally. Just personally. Yeah. I don't think so either. I still don't like being in a grocery store with that many people. I can't imagine going to a massive festival. It would not do well for my anxiety. Yeah. I would need some pills to go. I would need a Xanax to go to that <laughs> Same. Well, I did go to a Renaissance fair and that was spread out enough and they're outside. So that was okay. That's what kickstarted this needing a crown business. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, the crown tea party for Patreon is coming up. So stay tuned on social media for details. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening and thank you for joining us again. Thank you, Karen, even though you're not here anymore. <laughs> that work right now. I'm pretty sure she'd rather be right here, but. Oh, yeah. I want to thank my guest, Encyclopedia Obscura, for joining me again. I had such a great time with you guys. Your dynamic just cracks me up every time. Your bickering like your siblings is incredible. Chef's kiss. Mwah. We did have a little bit of internet issues. There was uh, a lot of freezing. <laughs> so we had planned on having a third segment and the freezing just got too much. So we put it off and instead we turn it into a bonus episode that'll be out next week. So stay tuned for that. It might have to do with Roswell. Spoiler alert. <laughs> if you'd like to watch all these episodes in their full unedited blooper and deleted scene glory, join Patreon and you get to watch all the future episodes live and comment and chat with us. And it's amazing. That's patreon.com slash historical AF pod. And, 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 and we have so many exciting things coming up. The crowned Tea party is coming up this week. I'm so excited. We're all just going to wear crowns. It doesn't have to be fancy crowns. You can make a crown. You don't even have to wear a crown. Some people are getting dressed up. Some people are getting dressed down. It doesn't matter as long as you're comfy. And then we are going to just sip on our favorite beverages. I, for one, got some color changing unicorn tea. And that's what I'm going to be drinking. Followed by probably some Star Wars tea because I am a nerd. <laughs> But mostly it's just going to be hanging out and talking and getting a little bit of human interaction and just making friends and it'll be really fun. So if you'd like to join the fam and join us again, patreon.com slash historical AF pod. If you have a story you'd like us to read on the, on the extra AF, please send those in. It could be your favorite historical nugget, family history, town legend, something that happened near you, ghosty experience, a true crime experience, whatever, whatever you want to share with us. Send that in to historicalafpod at gmail.com. Please follow me on social media. It's at historicalafpod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And if you want to follow me on the Tiki Talkie, that is at Kina Leanne, K-Y-N-A-L-E-A-N-N-E. And if you like this podcast, please consider giving it a review, you know, just giving a little, little five-star action. And then if you do, send me an email showing me which review is yours. And then I'll put you in a drawing to win a tote bag. It's the one... The If You Know You Know with Rasputin's jar and a cat and some aliens saying they didn't build pyramids. And then we could be twinsies because I have one too. <laughs> if you'd like to buy some merch, that is shop.spreadshirt.com slash historical AF pod. And keep a lookout on social media for when there's specials. There's always 15, 20% off free shipping. That kind of gets sprinkled in every month. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. You are the best. 
and I am so thankful for every single one of you. All right, I'll see you next week for a bonus space episode. Okay, bye.